Welcome to episode 14 of the American Dream in the Eyes of Immigrants podcast. I am your host, Heidi de la Cruz. In today's episode, I speak with Norbina. She moved to the United States from Pakistan at the age of five because her father left the family. She speaks about the journey coming here, and honestly, she has such an impactful story. Now, I do want to warn you guys that the connection wasn't the greatest um, when we were recording, but Nora explains why in the beginning, but overall, her story is still just as impactful. Um, I wanted to do something a little bit different with this episode because Nora talks a lot about her culture, and honestly, in this episode, I learned a lot from her culture, so I want to know what is one thing you took away from this episode? And I want to hear from you on my Instagram. So the link to my Instagram is on the show notes. So after you listen to this episode, go over to my Instagram and just let me know one thing that you learned from this episode. All right, here we go. Enjoy the episode. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> All right. And just to make sure I'm saying it correctly, is it Nor? It is Noor. Um, the Arabic pronunciation of his Noor, but Noor oh, is fine. Yeah. Noor. Oh, yeah. I love it. Oh, nice. How are you today? Uh, well, it's been okay. I just <sighs> moved out to California about a month or two ago. Okay. Um, I'm experiencing a heat wave out here. Mm. And this heat wave, um, I'm going to go into a blackout sometime oh, no. today. Yeah. Oh, no. <clears throat> so half, well, I'm in a dim mode, um, um, I don't know, place at the moment. So I have one outlet that's working and my fridge is working. Everything else is like, it's like disconnected. Wow. So I was like, okay, people. <laughs> Wow. Oh yeah, my goodness. So it's, been, it's just been like, and you you get like alerts on your phone and stuff to not use any electricity, but especially AC from like 4 p.m. to like 9 p.m. And everybody in the complex, I'm, I can't say everybody, but a lot of people don't particularly pay attention to that because it's really hot. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm just like trying to survive here with cool water and like mango popsicles oh wow my goodness i've i've been listening to what's been going on in california and then also are you near where like the water situation is too hello Uh oh i think i lost you hello Can can you hear me I can hear you now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I think what happened dimmed. So okay. Um. So I'm. I'm not honestly sure. Um. I have something that brings my. Somebody brings water to me, and I just mm-hmm. use that. I, I. I. And I conserve water when I'm showering or like cleaning and stuff like that. So. Oh my okay. goodness. It- and you said you just moved to California. So where did you move from? Uh, upstate New York. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I lived okay. in Kingston. I just picked a spot on a map and was like, here we go. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. In California, it, it was. It was because I needed someplace sunny. 
Okay. I have, um, I have really bad, um, sad in the winter. And okay. I just yeah. Didn't take it anymore. Last winter. New York, like this past December, it was like too much for me. So yeah, like, we're, just, we're just moving. So it's in a bit. It's been an adjustment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, oh. um, thank you so much for being willing to come on here and sharing your immigration story and journey. Yeah. Um, I haven't interviewed anyone uh, that's come from Pakistan yet so I'm really excited to hear about you and your background yeah. and culture and everything thank you so much oh, so thank you for having so, yeah, me so I sent you the questions and mm -hmm. those, you know all the ones that I'll use to guide the conversation yeah and, and yeah I'm really excited. thank you so much of course yeah thank you. so um, so yeah, tell us a little bit of information about you and what events led you to move to the United States from Pakistan and, uh, yeah. And how old were you? Five and six years old when I came to America from Pakistan, my father walked out the back door when I was like, I think around that around that age and he never came back and my mom was pretty young like in her like I think she was like either 19 or 20 years old and she had four children including mm. me that wow yeah and she didn't really know what to do I the night before I remember making eye contact with my dad as he walked out the back door and somewhere in my five-year-old and was just like, you know what, this man's not coming back. Mm. And I, he didn't come back. And the next morning, my mom's like going through the closet <clears throat> and all this stuff. And she's like, well, you know, he's got to come back. He left all his stuff here. And I just remember telling my mom as a five-year-old, he's not coming back. You should give the clothes to the servants. And I remember her slapping me out of frustration, you know, and just be like, no, he's coming back, you know? Yeah. And my grandmother also arrived that day to surprise us. And my mom was going to do something really drastic with herself and us. It's her story to sort of tell, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm just glad my grandmother came in time and was just like, okay, you have to make a decision. Like either leave all the kids with your husband, your, you know, your, the father of the children, or you bring all the kids. We're not splitting them. My dad, apparently I found out years later, wanted to split us you know my mom oh, said you either have all of them or you don't and i believe in pakistan like because men are sort of the breadwinners or the head of the family person yeah. and it's a patriarchal society they're responsible for taking care of the children like the children's like the father has more rights there yeah. right and we left Pakistan in the middle of the night, cognito, because we didn't want to be caught or anything, because mm -hmm. my dad had created a false report that and my uh, grandmother were kidnapping him 
his children mm. per se. So we had to do a lot of maneuver to be able to get the tickets last minute and fly out. So I remember just my mom like praying on her like prayer beats, like we called it Desby. Um, and my grandmother's doing the same thing and us leaving in the middle of the night um, and getting on the plane. I don't think my mom actually like he um landed states and the police didn't come to get her you know or mm. the kids so that was sort of my journey of coming to the united states what a journey oh my goodness yeah <laughs> so wow and then you know you're like five or six so it's like you just remember this vividly you know just because of the impact that it had on you Absolutely. Yeah. I just yeah. remember being like, why am I wearing like jeans and like this? Um, it was a poncho that I had. It was my favorite poncho. <laughs> I'm so sad when I grew out of it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Green like colored poncho with like brown horses running, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, I wore these like yellow yellow like cargo pants or something yeah <laughs> that my mom had like put on us and she was like here wear these we gotta go and we didn't bring anything with us like there were no tokens none of my if I had any like if I had a teddy bear or anything it was just like we didn't even pack a lot of clothes like it was yeah. just like let's just go so wow yeah wow and how like do you I know you remember this so vividly because of the impact. So when you first arrived to the United States, like what was like your first memory and how oh. did you feel? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a funny story. Um, I think it was like winterish time. Mm -hmm. And I just remember walking out for a hot minute and seeing the snowflakes coming down and in my brain, I was like, the sky is falling. Oh. The world is ending. Um, I was like, I refuse to go outside. Like, I was screaming. The way I was bribed was through orange juice and oh. chocolate. And I was like, these things are so great. And my aunt was like, you can get them if you get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I was like, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, there was... There was a lot of things that were shocking for my five-year-old brain. Yeah. I was not used to a lot of things that were not happening in Pakistan, you know? Yeah, of course. And so you guys moved, like, you guys landed straight to New York? We did. And um, the major reason for that is my grandfather worked for the Bank of Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And he got, um, I guess, employed to or transferred over, I guess is the right word, to to the Bank of Pakistan in New York City. And so oh, my okay. grandfather and my grandmother and the three siblings of my mom, they all lived in Queens or Brooklyn, I think for a long time mm -hmm. until they decided that they're going to move to Poughkeepsie. Um, okay. And do you remember your first, I mean, I know you, the first memory was the, the, the snowflake, but like your yeah. first cultural shock. Uh, there was a bunch of them. I <laughs> remember going to school 
I was put in first grade um, and I was going to the bathroom and I didn't quite understand English completely. And I yeah. didn't, for my brain, I'm not sure, it couldn't differentiate like, you know, the bathroom signs where it just had like the picture of like what a woman is and what a picture of a mm -hmm. male is yeah. to indicate which bath gender you're supposed to go to. I, I ended up stepping into the male bathroom and there were these girls coming by and they had made they were making fun of me and I just remember getting like so angry yeah um, and I ended up taking my shoe off <laughs> and it's terrible I, I mean I'm glad I can laugh about it and I feel awful I did this but I ended up like beating them up because I was so angry yeah, because yeah. no one was like telling me, like you know, instead of laughing at, help me. At yeah, the end yeah. of the day, they came back with their teacher, the two girls, and um, I I saw them, and obviously I recognized that I was in trouble, but I didn't say anything. And so the mm -hmm. teacher was like, "Did you do this?" And I like straight up kind of lied, and then I was like. And then I was like, no, I did this, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was one thing that I did. And then the other thing was when you get up to say the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, you mm -hmm. put your hand over your heart while you say that, right? Mm -hmm. In our culture, uh, for Shia Muslims, when it is our religious holiday, observance um we tend to beat our chest with our hand okay as we're reading um spiritual poetry per se right okay and so i in my brain i was like oh they're doing matam which is what it's called so mm -hmm. i got up with them and i'm like loudly hitting my chest like i'm so proud that these people are doing <laughs> Oh, and my teacher freaked out and was just like, what are you doing hitting yourself? Yeah. Um, and she had to call my aunt and my mom and my mom didn't quite understand English. So my aunt had come along and they had to sit there and explain to me like, this isn't Motham. Yeah. Were you going to say something? Oh, no, I'm listening. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh. Um, and then I think the other thing was where I lived in Pakistan, like my, it was my grandmother's house. So okay. it had what we called an American toilet and a toilet where you just squatted, right? Like, so it was mm -hmm. a regular toilet, but it was on the ground, right? Yeah. So that's what I was used to going. And then coming to United States, I was like, these toilets are weird. Like, I just felt like I was going to sink in. <laughs> you know, yes. and then, and you're not supposed to squat on, on top of a toilet that's already, you know, built yeah. from the ground. And so I had to be taught as a young kid to be like, you're not going to fall. There's no fear. <laughs> like oh, you wow. can just sit on the toilet, you know, and just go and it's okay. You know? So that was interesting for me. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, wow. So the, the bathroom incident, it's crazy mm -hmm. because a lot of people who come on the show that come as kids, right, to the United States, yeah. it's, it's always a bathroom incident, like one of the first first cultural shocks. 
because yeah. of the language barrier, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. I had I had a guest who they came from Mexico, and and one of the teachers specifically wanted her to learn how to say bathroom because mm-hmm. of that, just because. So like, if anything, just learn how to say bathroom. So like, when you have to go to the bathroom, you know, you can communicate at least that. But it's, yeah. it's crazy that like a lot of the culture shocks for the kids who've come to the United States um, when they're young, it's it's an incident with the bathroom. Like they either didn't know how, like you, like you said, like you don't know which bathroom to go to or they yeah. were trying to communicate that they, they had to go to the bathroom and they couldn't. Um, yeah. There's also one where like they didn't know they had to ask permission to go to the bathroom. They thought that mm-hmm. they could, you know, just go yeah. and so, you know, getting in trouble for that. So that that wow like that is a shocking I mean I don't want to say shocking either but it's just crazy how like the bathroom incident is very common as a culture shock for for immigrants wow yeah absolutely um I was probably um one of the very few kids in my school that didn't speak English so there was something Mm -hmm. called ESL which is yeah um, think like second language I can't remember what it stands for anymore but that's sort of where I learned English um with my fellow mates that also from other cultures and countries that didn't speak English yeah did were there um any other kids from Pakistan at your school or were you the only one um, I can't remember if I was the only one. I know I definitely felt like I was the only one. Yeah. You know, my school was primarily white. So mm. I was, you know, my skin tone range was minimal. Yeah. Yeah. You stood out. Yeah. You stood <laughs> out. Yeah. Oh, man. And how, how was that then? How did you feel being the only brown kid in school it was strange yeah to be honest um I was still in elementary school I decided to wear my hijab you know my mom was Mm. like you're gonna wear a hijab now you know yeah and that was an interesting experience in itself to see so-called friends that I made and then friends that didn't understand what was hijab and not be friends with them anymore you know yeah and then my grandmother often told me like you're they're just your classmates they're not your friends so I never really hung out with anybody Mm -hmm. after school and you know I think in the beginning I might have gotten one or two birthday invites but then people just even offering any kind of like invite invitations to anything and that really felt like lonesome yeah because everybody was like making all these connections and I only have a certain amount of time in school because we're also learning as well as playing but a lot more learning you know yeah and so you can't really build a lot of relationships that way. And that was just my grandmother's sort of mentality. Because mm-hmm. when we would come home, we would have to eat desi food. We would have to wear our cultural clothing. We could only speak in Urdu. You know, we didn't watch a lot of television, um, mm-hmm. listen to music, like a lot of that stuff. Because my grandmother was very much afraid that like I would forget my cultural religious identity 
and okay. just become way too Americanized, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was her way of sort of controlling what she felt was necessary. Okay. And, and now as an adult, how do you feel about her approach? You know, I think as a child, I really hated her. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was stifling, but looking back at it now as an adult, I think, I am grateful mm -hmm. because I am able to keep my language. I'm comfortable wearing cultural clothing out in public, despite the stairs, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I do enjoy my cultural food. So it's not, um, it's not the only thing that just ties me to my culture, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, if I ever had children, I definitely wouldn't be that way, you know? But mm -hmm. I understand and I have more compassion for my grandmother and my mother and why they did what they did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. And do you do you still like wear your the traditional cultural clothing, the hijab or Yeah. So when I have like special events and things like that, I will wear my cultural clothing on a day to day. I usually okay. don't. I just wear like jeans and a shirt or, or a dress or whatever. Okay. Um, but, and in terms of the hijab, there have been periods in my life where I have chosen not to wear them. And then, and I've just worn a scarf around my neck. And then there have been periods where the hijab was calling to me and I've worn it and then it stopped calling and I stopped. But okay. currently I've been wearing it. So, okay. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so what do you, what would you say is one thing that you like about living in the U.S.? Well, there's a couple, but I okay. think what I love most is the ability to learn about other cultures, mm. interact with other cultural, you know, cultures. And even, you know, in the United States, like just experiencing now West Coast life versus East Coast life, right? Like yeah. there's the cultures are so have that experience. Really love the ability of <laughs> having rights, but I think given Roe versus Wade and all these other rights that are like sort of now watering down um, has been difficult because I'm like, oh, I came to the U.S. because I needed all this freedom and these rights, right? And yeah. we fought really hard in the United States to have. Yeah, for sure. Um, Being diminished kind of hurts, but I, oh, I enjoy yeah. the freedom that it still provides for me and I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely a lot of freedom here in the United States. I will yeah. say that. Um, what would you say is one thing you dislike about living in the U.S.? Um, I think part of it is when we have our holidays, we have to take time off of work and use our PTO. Oh, and yes. Our holidays aren't honored as you know, as some other holidays might be of even of other cultures and kind of not having space to be like, I work remotely now, so it doesn't matter now. But like mm -hmm. when I was working a day job, it, like in brick and mortar, like not having space to be able to go pray. 
Okay. You know, yeah. and that part of my religion, my spiritual practice, could we get that somewhere and, and, and honoring that time, you know? Yeah. So I'm yeah. sure like there are companies out there. I'm not like saying everyone does that, but that was just my experience. Yeah, of course. And then now that I think about it, you know, like Christmas, you know, that's a religious holiday that is, you know, honored. Um, you know, some people don't don't celebrate in the religious way, but you know, it yeah. is comes off as you know the uh, the birth of Jesus. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's that, that's definitely interesting about that. How um, you guys have your holidays um, and it's special and sacred to you guys, but since technically you know the United States doesn't have uh, an official you know religion, but they do tell you you have the freedom to practice our religion. Or no mm -hmm. religion at all, but then like yeah. like yours is not honored, like your time off and things like that is not honored. That is very interesting. Um, um, the other thing I've noticed is, although it has been changing, which I'm really excited about, is like when you look at calendars, mm -hmm. you also don't often see like our own holiday. Like you'll see Yom Kippur, you'll see like those, which is mm -hmm. great. I'm glad it's there, right? But I'm like, can we also recognize like, you know, for recognizing Thanksgiving Day in like Canada, I'm sure we can recognize some holidays for us. Yeah, you know, yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um from, I know you came young from Pakistan, mm -hmm. but is there something that you remember that you miss from living over there? Oh, the access to halal food. Oh, like I... you can literally just go out, right? And just yeah. eat whatever you want and have snacks and all that. Um, it's hard living in the United States. Um, Especially when I lived in Kingston, I think there was like maybe three to four restaurants that that were partially halal or all halal. Mm. Um, but rest of the time, I was like, you know, vegetarian. Okay. And coming yeah. to California, I have a little bit more access because it's more city-like versus like where I lived. So, okay. yeah. And have you been able to go back since coming to the United States? Yes, I believe I went back in 2006 for about okay. six months. Oh, wow. I lived there. Yeah, I was, um, I had graduated high school and all that stuff. And I was just like, not high school, 2006 is after I graduated college. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like no no um so i went there um mm. i'm going there because a lot of family members were surprised that i wasn't so-called americanized really right? they were like we thought that you would be doing this and that and like so they had this conception of what an american is and i was like but I still didn't fit in with mm. just being Pakistani because even our Englishes were different, right? Like they learned British English. I, I'm learning American English, right? Mm. Yeah. And so they were like, you're not speaking correctly. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, so being able to speak Urdu again, like much more fluently because there was much more interactions and yeah. there were more 
like my language um, vocabulary built up real fast. Um, so that was nice. And then um, the thing that made me feel really great while I was living there was that I did my, I didn't have as much access to social media. Mm -hmm. And but like, obviously, they have, you know, news and movies and music and all that, like magazine covers and all that stuff, right? Yeah. But it was nice that on the day to day, the women that I interacted with, like really loved their bodies. Okay. And they weren't comparing. Now, I think looking back, maybe they were, you know, and I just didn't know. But like my young brain was just like, wow, they they really love who they are, you know, and they feel okay. <laughs> yeah. Like they're not shamed for mm -hmm. eating too much food because that is something that does happen, right? But again, I think as a young brain and as a young adult experiencing that, it might have been like a rosy colored, you know, experience. But I have a lot of body image issues. So I remember going there and being like, you know what? I really love the fact that my thighs touch now, you know? Yeah, I like that they're strong and they hold me and they're fuck. And then coming back to the United States, um, I think that deteriorated much more quickly for me um, because, mm -hmm. there, you know, that constant image message being bombarded, it, it, that was thing for me yeah wow so um so you were there for six months so mm -hmm. like how like how was that like I know you mentioned a little bit about your family but like was it like really another adaptation to living over there like how how was it I was able to adapt pretty quickly um okay. we, we definitely had internet like wi-fi and like I think a lot of times people think that like in in developing countries such as ours, you know, that they're not going to have the same product, right? Mm -hmm. um, that they're and or the accessibility to those products yeah. in those countries versus while you're in the United States. And I was amazed, um, but not surprised. I guess when I think about it now, right? Yeah, um, they had they had everything you could imagine that you needed, right? <laughs> um, so that was really cool. The The strange thing I will have to say that I, I haven't quite even adjusted to yet is that all the sh majority of the shops were run by men. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to get like undergarments, like a man was there, oh, you know? Okay. And, yeah. and I was just like, remember that um and the infrastructure like i think in the six months that i was there i was like they were building a bridge you know or some roadway and i saw it in six months i saw majority of it develop and i was like mm. wow this is really fast you yeah know? like i just know new jersey and new york they take forever <laughs> to like, yeah you know do their road work <laughs> <laughs> um so that was interesting um i i think the the thing that i struggled with most while i was there was that i had to have one because i didn't know my way around mm -hmm. i didn't technically go by myself you know so i had to have like one of my like 
uncles per se, mm -hmm. right? Or um, someone, another woman come with me to travel, to go to places. So I didn't have that freedom of like being able to get in my car and just drive wherever I want to. Mm -hmm. And it isn't to say that the women in Pakistan don't go out and do things on their own or that they don't drive cars. It may be a little bit harder, but they still go out and do those things. I just didn't have that capability. My grandma was like, nope, we're not doing anything that might cause a reputation issue. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there was that. And then I got to try lots of food. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> like, I loved it. I, I can pretty much remember all my meals. There was this amazing um, ice cream dish, the paluda. Mm -hmm. And it's like ice cream with food and like nuts. Like it was just so good. I was like, I need to have this every day. <laughs> that's how I gained my way through the follow <laughs> every time anyone would come over I was like did you give me a follow and they were like okay Nora like this is a little bit obsession I was like I don't have that access when I go back I gotta, Correct, you know, yeah. I gotta yeah, take it all drink. in um, <laughs> and then there was a drink called Pacola um, it's a green uh, soda it's like a soda cream, but it's green okay. and it just tastes so good. You get to pop the lid, you know, and just drink it. And it just feels uh, epic. Um, and the sodas <laughs> were different. I felt like, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but I feel like sodas in other countries, like in mine anyways, when I would drink Coca-Cola, it wasn't as sweet. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't as sweet? It wasn't as sweet. It had a little bit of a salty tang to it. Okay. Seven Up, that was sweet. Okay. Because I was going to say, the drink that you're mentioning, it reminded me of when I go back to the Dominican Republic to visit family. Um, mm -hmm. the, I like the Coca-Cola over there better. And oh, wow. yeah, it's completely different than the Coca-Cola here in the United States. But I want to say that it is it is a little bit sweeter over there. I mean, I, I think it's just like different. Like, a, I, yeah. I don't know if they use like sugar cane, but it's mm -hmm. just like a different sweetness to it. So, yeah. So when yeah. you were, when you were talking about the soda, that's what that reminded me of. When I love the Coca-Cola back in the Dominican Republic. And like if my dad goes, I'm like, Dad, you got to bring me back some Coke because it's just so much better. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. So, yeah, I, I had some really good memories of eating lots of barbecues, you know, going out and being like, you could pick anything from the menu, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was really nice. Um, I was able to make some friends while I was there and keep, keep in touch with them for a while, you know, mm -hmm. and then life sort of happens. Um, yeah. One major thing that happened while I was in Pakistan was that I reached out to my dad. Oh, you did? I did. Um, and my grandmother... He was really helpful. She brought me to the college that we thought he was working at, um, and he, he was. Mm -hmm. Really heartbreaking experience. My dad looked exactly the same. He wow. had apparently been married, um, had a baby. So I have, like, a stepbrother. Um, his name was also brother, which I thought was weird. And the two, if you 
two baby pictures of my brother and my stepbrother together, they look exactly the same. Wow. So, yeah, it's strange. Was interesting in the sense that he blamed my mom and my grandma for a lot of things. Mm. And just told me that I wasn't like raised properly and I should have done this or done that. And then he went on to say like, I was the ambassador to my siblings. And if they chose not to speak to him, then that was sort of my fault, right? And I'm, I, I cried a lot when I was with him and yeah. I look back at it and sometimes I get angry with myself and I say like, you know, you should have said more things that you wanted mm. to say, right? Um, and then I try to provide some compassion because I was a really, I was a young teenager slash young adult. I was like 18, 19, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember saying to him, like, you don't have or what I should be doing better with my life or how mm -hmm. my mom raised us single-handedly with no child support, working two jobs, mm -hmm. not knowing any English. You know, like, I think it created a lot of gratitude in my heart for the woman that my mom was, right? Like, yeah. she's a badass, right? Yes. Despite all her flaws, like, she's a badass at the core, you know? Yeah. And because I was having an arranged marriage at that time, my father thought I had sought him out because I needed money for the marriage to buy my gold or whatever. Oh. And I looked at him and I just said, how dare you? I was like, that's not the reason I out. Like, mom is twice the man that you are. Like, I was like, I'm good with my gold dowry. Like, I, I was just curious about and just wanted to see you, you know, kind of get the yeah. curiosity out of myself. Yeah, and yeah. I was there for six months. He only dropped by three times. Each time he came late with some excuse. On the day that I was leaving, he neither called me or came to visit. And like, we had a lot of guests. So like, you know, I'm sort of nursing this hope that like, he'll call me or he'll still see me because I'm leaving like he's aware of it and he never showed up again you know or called and I was just like okay I'm no longer gonna cry for this man or think of missing a father when he's just he couldn't even make the effort the six months that I was here yeah you know like I don't need that in my life anymore of course I was very heartbroken but it, it was a very powerful lesson in healing in itself yeah, I mean, it's, you know, human nature to have that curiosity, like, what is my father like, you know, mm -hmm. and why did he leave? So definitely is natural for you to want to and seek him out. But, you know, I'm sorry that it was just such a heartbreaking experience, you know, I mean, yeah. unfortunately, there's just people, I just, that yeah. just think about themselves, you know? No, absolutely. Um but there was a lot of joy in it. You know, it didn't mm -hmm. do that in that moment, but I think yeah. that's what the healing does. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, well, that was very brave of you too, you know, like, cause a lot of people can have the curiosity, but not actually like act upon it. So, you know, that was very brave of you. I'm gonna take that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sometimes I fight it, but yes. You know, no, yes. Very brave. Yes, ma'am. 
You have such a powerful story. I am just blown away of just everything, honestly, everything you've been through, everything you've endured. Um, you know, I am so taking it all in. And I just want to thank you once again, just so much for just being so transparent. And uh, I, I do want to ask, like, do you own your own business? Is there a service that you provide um, or anything like that? Because a lot of um, the guests that I have on um, do eventually open up their own businesses and things like that. So I do want to um, give them the opportunity to like promote themselves and, and things like that. So I do want to ask that. Oh, uh, absolutely. And thank you for asking. Um, and it's been a pleasure talking to you as well, Heidi. Um, I am a mental health therapist. I own my own private practice. So I'm licensed in California and in New York. I do a virtual therapy. Um, and then I'm doing some in-person groups that are in, more like empowerment circles uh, at parks in California. And mm -hmm. so I work with a lot of women, but men can also exist within that realm in terms of shame impacting individuals a lot with like bicultural identities mm. um, you know like the conditioned responses or messages that we're sort of told when we we're younger and how we internalize that and that soft mm. talk we have and yes. kind of learning the language of shame in terms of how it impacts our day-to-day -day lives as well as you know our work and our worth in this. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. I am a mental therapy act, um, activist. Like I am so pro therapy and seeking mental health and yeah. because I, it's, it's helped me trans tremendously. So I am just like, everybody needs therapy. You need therapy. Yeah. You need therapy. Everybody needs yeah. therapy. And it's beautiful um, that you do this and, and help others, you know, and, and yeah, and I feel like we need uh, different therapists from different backgrounds and cultures, you know, yeah. um, so we can find a therapist that can relate to us and identify with us, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so it's very, I, I love it. I love that this is what you do, completely uh, honest. Like, I feel such peace speaking with you like I don't know if it's your voice I don't know if it's just you your energy but I feel so peaceful speaking to you so like when you as soon as you said I'm a mental health uh, yeah. specialist like I was like okay this yeah. makes sense like <laughs> yeah yes so thank Absolutely. you so much um of course if anybody is um you know needing to get in contact with you how can they get in contact with you um I have an Instagram account page and that's nor-pinna. Um, you can visit my website at www.norpinnacoaching.com. So you can email me through my website. You can get in touch through my Instagram account. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, is there any last thing that you would like to share with my audience um, before we wrap this amazing conversation up? Um, 
Yeah, I will give you a little piece of nugget that I have found helpful is practicing being you is really hard. However, when we practice it on a daily basis, it becomes easier and we get to be more authentic with who we are. And that's the best gift that you can give the world, being the real you. Mm, beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Thank you once again so much for this this time. And I pray things get better on your end of the world in California because I know like it's a bunch of crazy things going on right now. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And yeah, just uh, I can't thank you enough. I'm sorry. I just keep repeating myself. But no, thank you. Seriously, thank you so much for, for this. <laughs> Well, thank you for hosting a platform to allow voices to exist, too. I really appreciate that, Heidi. Ah, thank you. Amen. Well, you have a great rest of your day, and I will speak to you soon. Okay, sounds great. Bye. Bye.